0: Lots of people want me to predict when it will all be over. Um, I don't think it will be over in 2021, is the honest answer.
1: Some businesses will not be able to trade in the midst of a pandemic, and they need as much support as possible. So that when we come out of this pandemic, which we will, or pandemics one way or another come to an end, the scarring in our economy is as light as possible. But only the government can do that.
0: It's all right for me. if I, I can sit in my spare bedroom for another nine months. Very, very easily, thank you very much. But if I drive a taxi and I've got four kids to feed about £500 for a phone, that's just not enough. So there's a strong narrative in the media at the moment about those on low wages and insecure contracts just can't afford to observe the rules in the same way that I can afford to observe the rules.
1: We'll carry on doing what we do in Sheffield and the wider region, which is making amazing things that people around the world want to buy. And we will carry on being successful because that's what you do.
2: Hello, I'm James Marriott and welcome to the Unlimited podcast, connecting business across the Sheffield City region. Every month we'll bring you exclusive interviews and we'll get under the surface of some of the stories you read about in the Unlimited magazine. Now, this, of course, is our first episode and we... Couldn't really start with anything than, well, I guess the big thing that is facing every business, every person in not just Sheffield and the city region, but right around the country and indeed the world. So we've got Sheffield's Director of Health, uh, Greg Felt. We've got Alexis Karachi from the Sheffield Chamber, and we are looking at the road to recovery for the Sheffield city region. Uh, I've got the unlimited editor, Richard Fiddler with me. Hi, Rich. Thanks for joining us. Napoleon no James we obviously were, were were both there for the chat that we had with Greg and Alexis i think it was probably impossible for this to be anything other than fascinating from start to end because there is just so much that we can cover but some really interesting stuff in there about what this year might have in store some stuff that's quite positive there's some stuff that's quite sobering as well isn't there really about kind of like you know what what we're looking at in terms of the long term effect of all this
3: there was, and it was interesting to uh, to speak to Greg because we've been touching on this subject since it began back in, in March 2020, and, and it was really important that we uh, eventually sat down with the man that's leading the uh, the road to recovery. And I think what was most interesting was that it's not going to be a very sort of shutters up experience when um, when we all do go back to um, back to work and out, out of lockdown. There would be a gradual series of events that kind of lead us on to um, back back to normal or whatever normal will be uh, so it was really interesting and i suppose the, the, the juxtaposition of that is from the business side so alexis was really really great with with how he was talking about the the recovery plan of business and the help that's been out there uh, and, and there's definitely a kind of a a middle ground where sort of the the, the health and well-being of people have to meet the need uh, need for business because without business no revenue to, to do all the things that actually keep keeps us safe and well anyway.
2: Yeah and and, and fair play to both Greg and Alexis for, for for just being honest and just kind of telling us you know what they really kind of think and I, I guess some of their predictions really for how the, the, the year may go particularly for someone like Greg the temptation is probably to say what people want to hear but actually I've always found with Greg Fell that he kind of does try and tell you it like it is sometimes to the point whereby you almost want him to sugarcoat it a, a, a little bit, and and there are a few moments in there where you know I remember at the time kind of asking him questions and his replies kind of taking me back a little because you kind of think that's probably not what I want to hear, but maybe what we
3: need to hear. Definitely, and and I think he's in a position where he's he's held accountable. Um, I think he has to be. He has to err on the side of caution, I think, for the most part, but but he tells it in a way where it's it's quite realistic and quite down the line. He's not being cautious, I don't think, for cautious' sake. He explains it very well. I mean, we asked him a few very simple, straightforward questions just to kind of almost like bust the myth of, of various things. Um, and I think when people listen to the interview, they should have a much better understanding of uh, what COVID actually is um, and how it affects people and, and then... Uh, on from there, how it affects um, uh, the business world.
2: Okay, later on, we uh, we tongue in cheek call him Sheffield's most connected man. I think it's probably an accurate description. Unlimited's head of sales, Dan Lever. he's gonna be on the show. Also, Jill Theobald, who is Unlimited's features writer. She's gonna be a real key contributor to the podcast as well. We'll be meeting her a little bit later on. The Unlimited podcast is hosted by Captivate.fm, the easiest way to create and distribute your podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about how to create a podcast for your business, you can drop me a line james at unlimitedbusiness.com that's james at unltdbusiness.com richard thank you for joining us now time for this month's main feature as we look ahead to 2021 the road to recovery for the sheffield city region
1: Hello, my name is Alexis Karachi. I'm the Managing Director of communications company Counter Context and an Executive Director at Sheffield Chamber of Commerce.
0: I'm Greg Feld, Director of Public Health in Sheffield, amongst other things responsible for managing the response to the pandemic.
2: Gents, thank you very much for joining us on the first Unlimited podcast. Now, when we started work planning this episode, everything felt a little bit different. There was an optimism, there was a hope that 2021 was starting to look quite positive for business. Now, here we find ourselves in in quite a different situation. We're in a third national lockdown. There is a possibility of some of it easing in February, but it looks most likely in March. I kind of want to start by asking you just for an outline, really, of what you think... 2021 is is really going to be for the Sheffield City region. Alexis, what would you say is, is your headline, if you like, for what 2021 is looking like? Turbulent,
1: but we shouldn't be worried or intimidated by that. If we were to describe 2020 as a really quite dark and challenging year, so describe it as a dark year, I think 2021 will be lighter, but I don't think it's going to be plain sailing and that we're just going to move swiftly beyond this pandemic so we're going to have to show resilience we're going to have to carry on innovating and we're going to have to as a business community be agile and be prepared for ups and downs but overall the the trajectory will be more positive than perhaps we expect and i think 2021 will be better than 2020.
2: And Greg, I mean, at the start of 2020, I, I would I wouldn't have expected that that videos of you popping up on my Twitter timeline would have become kind of the theme of the of the year. Obviously, you know, not not the year that you probably expected in in your role. But how do you kind of see 2021 looking?
0: Um, yeah, I wouldn't have expected videos of me to be popping up either. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, as, as per Alexis, 2020 was. Um, quite a difficult year, um, and that's a, um, an understatement. Um, 2021 um, will be bumpy. No two ways about that. Um, lots of people want me to predict when it will all be over. Um, I don't think it will be over in 2021, is the honest answer. Um, we will come out of this this wave, the third wave and the third lockdown. Um, I think that will be quite a slow, slowly declining tail. By that time, We'll have a pretty well vaccinated population as well. That will have an impact, no doubt. Um, There are some caveats on that that we'll probably doubtless come on to. Um, But but we'll be nowhere near a scenario where the whole population is immune. There will still be susceptible people. So we're still going to have to manage the impact of coronavirus, probably for the the foreseeable future. I'd like to say we could eliminate it, but I think that ship has has, has been gone, sadly. So we'll be in a bumpy place for about, at least at least a year is my guess.
2: I mean Greg, this this is a, a heck of a big question to ask you, but you know, there were there were periods in the autumn last year where things were looking really positive. How do we find ourselves in this situation now, particularly looking at, at other countries that, that don't seem to be hit as hard as, as we are at, at the moment? You know, kind of hearing you there say that, you know, you don't think that, that 2021 is a year that we'll be, we'll be out of this uh, at all. How How's that happened?
0: Um, a, a number of reasons. I, I think um, we, 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 we didn't adopt the right strategy soon enough as a nation, um, arguably, we should have closed our borders. So these are all things that, that are for the inquiry rather than for now. So they're my, they're my observations for now. Um, arguably, should have closed our borders. Um, arguably, should have adopted a uh, an elimination strategy really, really, really early on. But we didn't. We adopted a strategy, aka flu. We will manage. We will manage the, the virus as it as it transpires. Um, arguably, we didn't lock down first time round soon enough, and we we're ruining the consequences of that. Roll, roll forward to summer 2020. rates of virus in Sheffield South Yorkshire and know Sheffield best were, were pretty low actually about 20, 20 to 30 per hundred thousand uh, over a seven day period. What happened in um, autumn was that schools went back and schools went back for good reason education' is good for kids the end but but as a result rates went up rate, rates of virus went up everywhere um, and we've been managing that since. Then uh, certainly not yet fully taken off in Sheffield. It is happening now, but certainly what's happened in much of the rest of the country is the impact of the new variant of the virus, which is significantly more transmissible. Um, and you, you can see the rates of the rates of increase go up go up very very exponentially. Um, so you you end, you end up in a scenario where the prime minister pretty much has no choice but for the third lockdown. So um, yeah, we're we're riding that. I think when we come out of this wave, rates probably will still be in the order of, and I'm guessing here, 100 per 100,000, which is still much too high for comfort. But um, we'll have a pretty well vaccinated population by then. So the the impact on those that are medically vulnerable will be a lot less. So uh, uh, there's a lot of predictions in there and some of them may or may not come to pass. But um, the key point is that we probably didn't lock down first time around soon enough.
1: Just to pick up on that, evidently, Greg is right. I think when the inquiries start, not just in this country, but around the world, and and that will take time, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in many ways, we won't really understand how countries, which countries were successful or not successful for years, because there's a long tail on this. Countries that went early and hard in managing the virus and locking down will probably be proven to be the most effective. And I'm fascinated by the news in terms of, we look across the channel, so we compare ourselves to France and Spain and Germany and our near European neighbours, and then we occasionally look west at what's happening in North America. I think what we have to do is look at this at a global scale and look at some of the practices, and it's not just in New Zealand or South Korea, which are kind of the poster children of this, yeah. but we're, we have to think quite profoundly about those countries that are able to have a solidarity within their populations and to have an economy and a public health system, that can lock down very quickly with a high degree of adherence. It's going hard and it's going early. And we found that very difficult to do for a whole set of political, economic and social reasons. And lots of other Agreed. European countries have exacerbated the same.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. Um, we're, we're a libertarian economy. That brings many benefits for all sorts of reasons. Um, but but we've, we've seen some of the downsides. And lots of Southeast Asia was benefited by having direct experience of SARS, first time round they learned some really really hard lessons as a society first time round um, which we hadn't been through that um, therefore as a society we hadn't hadn't learned those lessons um and I, it's it's fair to say that early on I can vividly remember it there were plenty of people um uh, sh- shouting quite vociferously lockdown 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 the general response in the popular media was Yeah, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. But it clearly wasn't all right. And you you only had to look at what was happening in Wuhan to see that it wasn't all right. Most of our early cases were imported from northern Italy skiing holiday type of territory. There was a lot of seeding that happened then um, in mid to late February, early March. But at that time, we didn't have direct evidence that that was happening. But it was perfectly apparent two or three weeks later it would, but that's hindsight, um, and we can all reflect from hindsight what we what we did, did did and didn't do. But yeah, I agree with you, Alexis. It, the, the, the global learning will be important from this. Um, and and well, yeah. Whilst it's fair to say that the UK hasn't had a great response, um, we're in a big club there because a lot of the world hasn't had a great response. Some countries have had a spectacularly good response, no doubts about that. Uh, and there are things that have worked well, but there are plenty of things for us that haven't worked so well.
2: So we touched there a lot on kind of like the national situation mm. and, you know, kind of other countries. Let's bring things a little bit more local then. Let's look specifically at the Sheffield City region. Alexis, obviously you're in touch through the Chamber with lots of, of businesses around the area on a daily basis, I'm guessing. what What's the kind of feeling that you're getting?
1: So inevitably it, it's mixed because all of us at a personal level mourn every job loss and every headline about a business that's failed. But some businesses are doing extremely well because their business models were not predicated on close contact between humans. It's probably, you know, at a very fundamental level, the, what we're living through is the inability to be close together. So businesses that didn't need or can trade without close human contact have traded through. Sheffield City Region, Sheffield in particular, we have a, a genuinely proud history of being at the forefront of, of innovation. We've been doing it for three, 400 years. So There's been a lot of innovation in the marketplace. Businesses have adapted and pivoted, and I'm I'm sure we'll talk about that. But equally, there is a lot of pain in uh, the business community, in the marketplace, in the economy. We're a city like most places in the UK. We are a city and a city region of small businesses. 85 to 90 percent of the businesses in our in our city in our region are micro businesses. So they perhaps have yes the ability to be agile, but they perhaps don't have the resilience and the cash flows to trade through really complex economic situations every business is unique it is and so the experiences of businesses have been very very different we've seen some amazing success stories we see seen some really challenging situations for businesses in the hospitality sector we all know and understand that but there is divergence you know I, i'm very conscious that my company counter context we are fortunate that we all managed to move from having we have offices in sheffield manchester and london Before the pandemic, so we had three offices. We've now got 25 because we could all go and huddle behind our Zoom screens and carry on supporting clients. Lots of other businesses have not been able to do that because of what they do. In summary, it's a mixed picture. Uh, What we need to do, though, is recognize that as we navigate through this pandemic, we have to think long term. We should probably, as to pick up on Greg's point, that, you know, this is not going to be over anytime soon. We should hope for the best, but plan for the worst. So businesses are going to have to keep adapting. People are going to have to keep innovating. And we must keep up the pressure on government to provide as much support for those businesses that, however smart and thoughtful their owners are and their staff are, some businesses will not be able to trade in the midst of a pandemic, and they need as much support as possible. So that when we come out of this pandemic, which we will, or pandemics one way or another come to an end, the scarring in our economy is as light as possible. But only the government can do that. We've got to keep up the pressure on making sure that government provides meaningful support to businesses that can't trade.
2: Um, Greg, we are – I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but I think this reflects the the majority of people's experience. We're seeing more cars on the road than we did during the first – lockdown we're seeing you know maybe the way that people are interpreting the the role of a key worker or what's classed as essential travel or maybe even what's classed as a business meeting we've maybe seen that kind of morph and change a little bit as we've been through these these three lockdowns how significant is that and what's the risk that ultimately that sets us back even further
0: so you're right this lockdown is less strict than the first lockdown. There's what there's one surefire way to suppress viral transmission, and that's to lock the economy down completely. That'll, that will that 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 will have a massive ma- massive positive effect, but it'll also have a massive negative effect for all of the reasons that Alexis has set out. government's trying to pursue a fine line between limiting the social and economic harm that suppression strategies have versus maximising the suppression strategy. Um, uh, the, the, w- one of the flashpoints um, is the definition of key worker. That's significantly wider this time round than it was last March. Yeah, that's playing out at the moment with regard to schools, because school, schools have, have have been given a, a line from the Department of Education. Um, they they should remain open, but for children of key workers. But the definition of key worker is much 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 wider. Um, so th- there's a tussle um, that, that that will happen between um, the 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 interests of keeping as much of the economy going for obvious social and economic benefit versus the maximal suppression of the virus, and there's no right answer to that one. However, you are dead right. The lockdown is less strict. The rules are are less strict than they were last time. Um, The rules are being enforced. There's no two ways about that, where either our environmental health staff or police see obvious breaking of the rules, then they will enforce the law. There's no two ways about that. Um, And the only other thing I'd probably say is that the, the media is full of narrative on everyone's breaking the rules. The evidence is actually to the contrary. The evidence is that um, uh, the, the vast majority of people are, are observing the rules, but where the rules enable something to happen, people will do it. So if if, if retail is open, people will go shopping. So while people are observing the rules, the rules are a little bit um, laxer than they were first time round. That um, makes it a bit harder to control the spread of the virus um but um most people are observing those rules that are there and um, the the key the key flashpoints around rule observance is the people that can't afford to isolate for 14 days it's all right for me if i i can sit in a spare bedroom for another nine months very very easily thank you very much but if i drive a taxi and i've got four kids to feed but 500 pound for four that's just not enough so there's a strong narrative in the media at the moment about those on low wages and insecure contracts just can't afford to observe the rules in the same way that i can afford to observe the rules um, so there is there's more that needs to be done in that space and that's the single most important thing actually by by far for, for suppressing the viral spread and the second one is where where we where where we do break the rules is households to household spread when I go and take something to my next door neighbour for instance that's an opportunity to spread the virus from one household to another that's where the risk is coming from so it's those little things that where where we're falling down but as a rule people are observing the rules but the rules are a, a bit slacker than they were last time around
2: Okay, let's talk a little bit then about um, the support that's available for um, businesses. Now, I know that neither of you directly decide who does and doesn't get uh, a grant. But this week, I've spoke to um, a couple of different business owners on completely different scales, one who is effectively a sole trader, one who runs a very big company with significant turnover, who've both been hit by the pandemic, who've both been turned down for grants, but they both have competitors who do pretty much the same thing, who have been given the very same grant. Alexis, is the support at the moment right? No, in a word.
1: But perhaps it's impossible for it to be right. And I, and that doesn't mean that I'm a fan or a supporter of the government and think they're doing the right things. Is Nothing can replace a fully open economy. It, it, that's just, it's particularly as, as Greg picked up a, we live in a free market, so you can't replace a free market with business support on a, on a like-for-like basis. If I think about the business support that's been in place since the lockdown number one, so March two thousand and twenty, it strikes me that what the government did is got a huge hosepipe and just sprayed money all over the economy. Not necessarily in a panic, but that's what was needed. The ground support that was made available, the bounce back loans, the sibils as they're called, all of that through lockdown two and lockdown three the government, particularly the Treasury, I think have tried to be more nuanced and more sophisticated and, dare I say, more measured in the support that they provide businesses. But they haven't got it right because an economy is incredibly complicated and we live in a centralised state. So what we're probably seeing now is the best way I would describe it in simple terms is the business support that's being provided is arguably not enough and it never can be. It, it never will be because you can't re- replace a fully open economy but the support that is being provided is being clumsily administered and that's not a reflection on local authorities the city council the local authorities in Barnsley Doncaster and Rotherham or the city region it's just a government recognizing or making a political decision that it can't keep hosing money onto the economy that it did in the, in, in the spring of 2020 i have a huge amount of sympathy for A lot of businesses who are frustrated by both the size of the grants that are available, the fact that some businesses haven't got support, but also, even though we're now a year into this pandemic, there are businesses, bona fide businesses, that are slipping through the safety net, particularly those businesses that are run by people who have incorporated, become limited companies, owner-managers, who who continue to slip through the forgotten 3.2 million. But this is bewilderingly complicated. I think what isn't helpful is... The government needs to be a lot more candid and open about the challenges that they face. I get personally a little frustrated with ministerial statements that say we're going to do this and we're going to we're going to make this will all be fine when actually it's bewilderingly challenging. So, is the support work, working? Is it enough? No, it's not because you can't replace a fully open economy. Which is why, and Greg's been saying this consistently on his videos, the best way of getting our economy back up and running, the best way to get every business back up and running is to manage the virus as aggressively as possible and that's why however painful lockdowns are they are necessary but we've got to use these lockdowns to get some fundamentals in place so that we can carry on living with that we can, so we can live with this virus because we can't keep going from open to lockdown to open to lockdown to open to lockdown that's a, that's a slow death
2: SARS was uh, was mentioned earlier on it kind of got me thinking because I mean, last March feels like a long time ago now, but I remember this general sort of feeling among people of, I—I oh, mean, it can't happen here. Like, you know, think, things like that don't happen here, and obviously, coronavirus has happened. Here, I know at the moment all the talk is is about you know when do we start getting back to something like normal. Greg, you mentioned about I mean, in a lot of ways, this year is maybe maybe not going to look like normal uh, at all. But but what about long term? Now we've realised that actually you know we're not immune to pandemics in the in the UK. The long term impact for us as as individuals, but also for business and the uh, economy. I mean it's it's quite overwhelming to try and stop and try and figure out what that's going to be because that's going to be huge isn't it
0: Yeah so so yeah we all thought we all thought that it would never happen it's fair to say that um we all forget that whilst we all worry about terrorism and things of that ilk and quite rightly that pandemic where it's pandemic flu actually um has been number 1 on the national risk register the government's national risk register for about the last two decades it turned out not to be pandemic flu it turned out to be a pandemic of a coronavirus which which nobody was expecting but yeah we can't say that we weren't warned because we were but we all thought it would never happen um it's a sort of a very low likelihood but obviously massive consequence event that has happened we can't turn back the clock on that one now so we can only move forward i 100% agree with alexis the international evidence is pretty clear. Those those countries that have managed their virus spread uh, as well as they possibly can have had the least impact on their economic performance. Um, now, whether I'm assuming that plays out in the local economy as well, but obviously it'd be pretty difficult to demonstrate that data-wise because it just it just would be. And as a cold comfort to somebody whose business is <laughs> really struggling at the moment. And yes, we can. Do better with regards to uh, the business supports. No two ways about that. Um, I saw some figures yesterday. I think she- Sheffield had administered in the order of about £4 million worth of business grants. That's trivial in the grand scheme of things, actually. Really, really trivial. And Alexis is right. We can't replace state intervention in the free market economy. It just, it just won't work, it's not gonna happen. Um, so yeah, it's in all of our interest to manage the virus spread as best we can. I think we will be long-term in a scenario where we're adapting the way that we run our lives, the way that we run our businesses. The notion of COVID secure will be with us for a long time to come, I think. Um, and credit to businesses up, up, up and down the city region who have moved mountains to do that as best they possibly can. Um, But some businesses are more reliant on face-to-face contact with customers or reliant on face-to-face contact between individual employees than others. So it it will be harder for some than others. And I think, and I may be wrong on this, I think that um, there's a case that could be made that the economy in South Yorkshire is arguably less reliant on leisure, tourism, etc., Um, than other parts of the country. So you can make a case that we've been less impacted than other parts of the country, but we have been impacted. We can do better. But I think we'll be living in a sort of how do we adapt to this for at least the next two or three years, probably longer.
1: To develop that a step further, at the start of the lockdown, I I should not and will not take credit for this phrase. I was sent a report by an organisation in North America that talked about something that really resonated with me, the low-touch economy, which they defined as being shaped by reduced human contact, tighter restrictions locally, nationally and internationally. I think we have to get used to the idea that we're all going to operate and live in a low-touch economy. So what does that look like? We see this in the media and we see this in our lives. The acceleration of pre-existing trends, more of our lives being lived online, more products and services being consumed in our homes where possible. We will likely see and that's some really challenging issues around this, but an explosion in mental health issues and how people think about their mental well-being and products and services will be developed and are being developed to address that. We will probably be more focused as a society and businesses will respond in kind on hygiene and cleanliness. So for your listeners, I would really encourage you, it, it, there's lots of things out there, to go and read about the low-touch economy because I think that's going to define perhaps for the rest of our professional lives. Because when eventually we start to talk about COVID-19 in the past tense, we'll still carry the kind of mental scars of having lived through that. Uh, I'm an optimist, and Greg probably in a minute will shoot me down. I don't think this will happen again, because hopefully at a very structural level we will have learned from this experience. I'm still staggered as as a lay person. In January 2020, we watched the Chinese build a hospital in a week. And kind of raised an eyebrow and went, oh, isn't that interesting? And kind of, in a way, chuckled and looked at it online and then carried on with our daily lives. And then a few weeks later, the Italian government shut down the north of Italy. And we looked across and went, oh, that's interesting, and then just carried on with our lives. And then a few cases bubbled up in the south of England and nobody really. And then slam. We had to shut down our entire economy. I would be devastated and I would be staggered if we allow that to happen again. I think we're going to be a lot more sensitive now to any little blip of an unknown pathogen. I think we're going to be really focused in the Western world on, what well, I hope, public health surveillance, which there has been, and Greg will know a lot more about this than I do. We monitor pathogens as a society globally, but I think it will start to permeate mainstream news, and it will be and it will become more of a topic of conversation, because we're now tuned into it. When we get back into the pubs, which we will, uh, <laughs> we probably will be talking about football scores, but also, uh, have you heard about what's popped up in uh, maybe southeast asia or a dark jungle in africa we'll put that will become far more prevalent and it will become a political issue governments will now need to have a stated view on how to manage pandemics that's not buried in maybe a, a risk assessment but actually you ministers will be expected to talk about that in hustings and a news night and other tv programs this shouldn't happen again and it probably won't happen again because we're now tuned into it
0: it will happen again. There's no two ways about that. That's one of the uh, the sad realities. This is a once-in-a-century once event, um, uh, but it will happen again. I, I, I would hazard, um, I clearly none of us were alive in 1918, but I'd hazard that the, the world learned a very hard lesson uh, after the 1918 Spanish flu, uh, and then over the century, we've forgotten that lesson. So um, um, what we have seen, um, is the 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 impact of exponential growth? We all understand R now, or vaguely understand R, um, and we've all seen what happens when these kinds of things spread at a very 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 rapid rate. Early on, I agree with you, and I think I think I was po- possibly guilty of this as well. Early on, oh, this is just like flu. No, it's absolutely not like flu. I think we all said that when we didn't have a great deal of data. But uh, this is significantly more transmissible and significantly more dangerous than flu. But we didn't recognise that until too late, arguably because we were thinking with a flu-like mindset, because that's what all of, that was the most likely event. And this wasn't flu, it was coronavirus, a nasty version of it. We weren't ready for that. So uh, yeah, I agree with you. We will learn the hard lesson. About 300 um, new diseases emerge every year, there or thereabouts. The World Health Organization keeps a p- pretty close eye on them. Of those 300 that emerge each year, a vanishingly small proportion of them turn out to be Issues of real public health importance. This one did, and the, the skill will be spotting those that are turning out to be of real public health importance very early on. My uh, again, lessons of history. Um, um, my um, senses were twitching from mid to late December 2019, when it was perfectly apparent that there was human to human spread of a uh, particularly nasty uh, pneumonia. We then called it the Wuhan virus. Remember that. But but it wasn't until early January 2020 that um, public health types started to, to to sit up and take notice um, in, in most of the rest of the world. Uh, it wasn't until March, till, till the rest of society started to take notice, too late by then. So uh, um, one can only hope that we've learned the lessons of history um, and that we maintain. We've always had, actually, very, very good infectious disease surveillance. The the thing that was missing was the ability of uh, to to get that intelligence into actionable information for um for for the cabinet basically. So so hopefully we'll have learned that lesson. I sincerely hope so.
2: Greg, I've got to ask you this, that there are people who say that, all right, that there's vulnerable people, there's people with pre-existing conditions, we can't keep locking down like this, shield the people that need protecting and let everyone else just get on with normal life. What's your take on that? Why Why yeah. is that not an option?
0: So so that's the, the herd immunity strategy, the, the let it rip through the economy, let it th- rip through society strategy, but protect the vulnerable, M- most commonly um, articulated in what's known as the Great Barrington Declaration. It's an alluring hypothesis. Um, um, and it's the sort of, well, well, most people, and the reality is, most people will be mildly infected. Um, there's you know, no two ways about that just just let that go um and we'll, co- we'll 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 shield those that are most vulnerable it, it it's alluring but a bit dangerous no it's not a bit dangerous it's very very dangerous um so um the 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 let it rip strategy or aka herd immunity g- given the likely rates of spread um and given the likely impact would imply about half a million deaths in the in 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 the uk um a level of death that no one is prepared to countenance and it wouldn't be just deaths in the very elderly it would be deaths in 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 younger people as well it doesn't take into account the impact of long covid um significant number of younger working age people are affected by this phenomenon known as long covid which um uh, if you have a mild even if you have a mild infection first time round you can have long term very debilitating effects and if that's in working age people that's going to have an impact on the economy anyway there's and there's there's zero evidence that um we can we can Effectively shield the very vulnerable and the very elderly, just because of the way society works, um, you, you can if you want to lock them away. But no one wants to do that. We all want to see our grand. So there's there's no evidence that we can operationally affect um, a shielding policy. Um, so all or the only way to um, develop herd immunity is through a vaccine and you know we have that now we're, we're going at some considerable pace on that one um, it'll take a while to get us all fully vaccinated but the best way to develop herd immunity in any infectious disease is through vaccination not through um uh, not not through the sort of disease induced immunity um so it's a bit of a dangerous idea actually herd immunity for a whole bunch of reasons
2: and, and Greg, er, earlier you um, touched on this analogy that that some people and, and ourselves included who, uh, at the beginning of this thought, well, you know it's just a mild form of the the flu. You, you, you kind of said that you know it very much isn't. So, so what actually is it? What is coronavirus?
0: what What can you compare it to? Um, well, it's a different virus. Flu flu virus is, is one type of virus. Coronavirus is another kind of virus. Um, common cold is a coronavirus actually, um, and there are lots of different types of, of coronaviruses. And uh, the, the, this is one this is one of them. SARS, um, the the, the 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 disease that impacted on Southeast Asia was a coronavirus. The case fatality rate from that was actually much higher than the case fatality rate from this particular coronavirus, SARS-CoV two, MERS. Uh, Middle East respiratory syndrome um, was also a coronavirus. Um, you, you, that, that, the vector for that was camels. So don't kiss camels is the common story. So there are lots of different types of coronavirus. This is one of them. It does affect all systems of the body, particularly respiratory, um, and particularly cardiovascular, causes blood to be more uh, likely to clot um, and causes all sorts of respiratory problems. Hence, you have lots of people on in hospital on ventilation. It's not the flu. Flu, the unmitigated r naught um, is in the order of 1.3. So of 100 people that um, get this, they'll pass it on to 130 people. The unmitigated r for coronavirus is in the order of three to three and a half. So of 100 people, they'll pass it on to 300. So it's much, much, much more transmissible than flu. At the time it first became an issue, there was no vaccine against SARS-CoV-2. There is now, and I'll come on to that. And it's much more dangerous so the case fatality rate for flu is about 0.1%. so 0.1% of people who have symptoms of flu will will die sadly and that's we're very very loaded towards the elderly the case fatality rate for sars-cov-2 is about 1%. Um, given the transmissibility 1% mortality is a big deal and again it's very it's loaded towards the elderly and those with medical vulnerabilities i think i'm still writing saying this about 8% of people who acquire COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, end up in hospital. That Again, that's not trivial given the transmissibility. So it's more transmissible. It's more dangerous. And, you know, I had flu a few years ago. The one year I didn't get my act together to go and get my flu jab was the year I got flu. It knocked me out for four days. It was awful um i wouldn't wish that on anybody this is much more serious than that much much more serious so um um it's a, it's a different thing altogether and anyone that thinks this is uh, just just flu then it's not all that said The reality is that many people affected will have pretty mild symptoms. But we all know, I personally know of people who've been affected who really didn't have very mild symptoms. They were knocked out by it. So uh, more transmissible, more dangerous. But but as I say, fortunately, we now have a vaccine and we're going we're we're going at that some speed right now.
2: All right. Thank you, Greg. Um, Alexis, last word. I'm going to come to you because there's a lot that we've touched on today. We've talked about support for businesses, obviously a bit of optimism with the vaccine um, programme being rolled out. I mean, we've not even mentioned Brexit. What is your message for businesses in the Sheffield City region?
1: It's a brave new world. In 2016, a vote was had. We could, You could probably host a whole series of podcasts on that vote, but we voted to leave the European Union, and the political decisions stem from that for us to leave the European single market and the customs union. That, in very practical terms, has involved us ripping away from the trading arrangements and the largest market for our exports that we've got used to as a country over the last 30 to 40 years. My message to businesses in Sheffield City region is, I understand the pain that that's probably been, uh, that's, that's prompted for some businesses the frustrations with the additional paperwork that's been generated it may well be there are businesses out there that can see and are enjoying new opportunities as a result of brexit so there is good news and bad news associated with a very profound political decision but regardless of my view good or bad of brexit i think one of the things that's worth noting is sheffield and the sheffield city region we've been trading with the wider world for centuries long before the european union was the gleam in the eye of political leaders after the second world war so we will thrive in simple and and succinct terms hopefully but we left huge change we've just left the single market and customs union we've been used to for 40 years but we'll carry on doing what we do in sheffield and the wider region which is making amazing things that people around the world want to buy and we will we will carry on being successful because that's what you do i i am an optimist businesses by and large are very good at adapting and they're very good at learning and they're very good at spotting opportunities we did that in the in the european union we'll do that outside of the european union
2: well, Alexis, Greg, thank you very much for your uh, for your time and for your input. Pleasure. So he is the most connected man in the Sheffield City region, well, we think so anyway. Please welcome Unlimited's Head of Sales, Dan Lever, to the podcast. Hi, Dan.
4: Hi, mate. I was waiting for um, some applause in the background there, but we didn't get a sound effect, so never no mind.
2: Do, do you think it's a fair description?
4: I'd, I'd say that's entirely accurate. Widely known as the face of Sheffield, I believe. Is that okay?
2: Everyone Everyone knows you. Soon to be the voice of Sheffield as well now <laughs> we've got you on the uh, on the podcast. Um, on that subject then, um, one of the things that is big on your agenda at the moment is networking.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, specifically online networking. As I say, as, as the sort of widely known face of Sheffield, I've been out and about quite a lot, banging the unlimited drum over, over time. Um, But I've not been keeping up with it over the past few months. A combination of being busy working on different projects and not finding online networking in Zoom chats quite as rewarding in the same way. I think it's probably the absence of a bar that really sort of uh, spoils (laughs) the stimulation for me. Um, But no, I think think it's something that uh, is obviously valuable. A lot of people, including yourself, have um, banged the drum very hard for online networking and have found it really, really useful. Um, i myself have not sort of found a great deal of success if i'm really honest about it so it's, it's really interesting to sort of talk to other people about it but really just to get out there and communicate with with the sort of people that are out there again because I've, I've kept up a lot of one-to-ones but i think generally sort of meeting new people has really been stifled for me by the uh, by the pandemic so it's been really interesting to try and throw myself back into it I've attended a few already a couple of the chamber of commerce ones john covey's thrive networking and i'm due to book on to one of my favourites, to be fair, which is uh, Andy and Jill's 3D Connect, which is always good fun. So I'm looking forward to getting back to it. But yeah, trying to get onto as many new ones as well and, and meet a lot more new people.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm a big fan of the uh, virtual networking because you can uh, you can go to a networking event at half six in the morning without having to get out of bed at like five o'clock to uh, to do everything. You can do it in your pajamas. It's uh, it's brilliant. Um, right, other stuff that's happening with Unlimited Magazine. Then exciting times. There is a new property section on the way. Tell us all about that.
4: Yeah, we're launching that in the February issue for the first time. Um, I mean, to start with, it's it's going to be quite sort of concise. We've always had quite a good relationship with a lot of the property sector. But more and more, we've been getting a lot more press releases because, I mean, it's been an interesting one, I think, due to some of the governmental changes around stamp duty, etc. It's been a, sort of quite a busy industry over the course of the pandemic. And we just thought it was worth pulling that all together and, and starting a section around it. So initially, that's just going to feature some news from sort of people work we're working with already. Redbrick, Urbana. We've also got some new advertisers coming on board. We've got Auction House UK, Resonate Property, and we've done a lot of work sort of, over the last few months with uh, the Gilbert Investment Group. We're going to probably just pull it all together. So I think initially there's not much of a change in content, but over the next few months we're looking forward to releasing one of our newest columns, which is going to be focusing on property and working with a few of those people, and really just sort of taking stock of where we are with um, property development in Sheffield, because it's moving on all the time. You, there's still no shortage of cranes when you're walking around Sheffield City Centre. So there's a lot happening. There's a lot happening in construction. There's a lot happening in development. And I think it's a really interesting avenue, and I think we're going to sort of really look into this in, a, in the future of Sheffield in a couple of our upcoming issues and see where this is uh, where this is leading them.
2: okay and um in one breath i can't believe that it's nearly february but in the same breath it also feels that we've had about half of this year already because january feels like so much has happened I mean, but february is 20th. around the corner and that means apprenticeship weeks on the way
4: it is apprenticeships week um is on the 8th the 14th of february and a lot of the people that we work with in the magazine um, are obviously keen to be talking about that I think apprenticeships have been quite a hard thing to keep up, obviously with a lot of workplaces closed. People being in a business and working has not been able to translate, certainly from the apprenticeship where it's very much learning based. and The idea of a lot of apprenticeships is to actually be quite hands on with them so they're not just in the classroom environment all the time. It's really interesting to see how apprenticeships have adapted over the last sort of six to ten months to see how they can actually move forward. The sources have always put a lot of great content out. They do a skills focus with us every month, so you'll be seeing something in there. And we're speaking to Barnsley College about some of the work that they're doing around Apprenticeships Week. It's also with Ray Byrne at Why Change, who are one of the apprenticeships providers that we work with quite a lot. Why Change have kind of taken a lot of their own mantra to heart over this past 12 months and really tried to get down to the root of what they're doing and see how it can be adapted and delivered in a different environment. They put a lot of work very early on into being able to deliver a hybrid classroom, it was still open for anyone that could make it. But of course, with people being contacted and having to self-isolate, it made attending sort of really, really quite difficult for them. So they um, put a, a lot of work into creating this beautiful environment that does en- entirely translate online. Very good cameras, a very good setup. And if you sit in their classroom, basically, at one end, you've got a high-end camera and massive television so they can see all the learners. And at the other end, you've got everyone that actually made it into the, uh, into the uh, classroom to, to actually continue their training in person. Talking to them since this last lockdown was announced, it's been really interesting because all the work that they've done to set themselves up for what they thought would be hybrid has translated now exactly into continuing exactly where they were. So they've jumped straight back to doing fully online learning. And I think it's really interesting to talk to them and see how there's a lot of lessons to be learned. So it's really good to see sort of how people have taken the lessons that they've um, adapted over this last year, moved it back and delivering exactly what they would deliver in person, just through a different environment.
2: Um, dan if anyone is interested in finding out about kind of opportunities within the magazine or, or anything more about any things that you've talked about what's the best way of people reaching out to you best
4: way to find me is probably through LinkedIn and um, just give me a shout on there shoot me a quick message and we can find you that way otherwise you can email me at dan at unlimited
2: good to chat to you Dan we'll see you uh, back here on the podcast next month
4: cheers buddy catch you soon mate
5: Hi there, I'm Jill Theobald. I'm the features writer for Unlimited Business Magazine, which means I spend my time interviewing um, entrepreneurs, employers and employees from across the Sheffield City region business community.
2: So, Jill, I mean, you have the you have the exciting job in, in this operation because you have kind of your finger on the pulse of what's going off um, across the um, Sheffield City region. So in terms of um, in the coming months on the podcast, you're going to be chatting to some of the great, some of the good, covering some of the stories that uh, are, are going on. Just to kind of give us a bit of an idea of maybe what to expect. So what, what kind of, of stories do you cover maybe you know things that that you've covered in the last few months that really kind of stand out to you
5: yeah well in particular during lockdown we when we, the magazine went online we ended up doing a cover story with uh, one of our regular contributors, Ash Young from uh, Evoluted. They had to take their um, digital marketing event that they run um, online as well. So it coincided really nicely. We were able to chat to Ash about the logistics of taking that business event online and um, how he foresaw events uh, shaping up in the, the new normal, as we were calling it then. Further on into um, lockdown, we were um, was fortunate to be able to do a Zoom interview with um, Dame Sarah Storey, who is the active um, travel champion for Sheffield City Region. She um, told us all about the active lockdown lessons that she wanted people To implement again into the new normal in order to create a more sustainable, active uh, travel and um, transport environment for the whole community across the whole Sheffield City region and shed some really nice, wise words for employers and employees as well in terms of adapting and involving their commute. So that was fantastic as well. That was an amazing opportunity to be able to speak to her. Also, during lockdown, I was. um, Really, really fortunate to be able to chat to um, Jill Thomas, the founder of uh, Future Life Wealth Management. She trusted Unlimited as a platform to share her very, very personal story um, of how she overcame personal challenges and reviewed and reflected on her life and ended up um, changing her life for the better, setting up her business. Um, And it was a really um, engaging um, and powerful story um, that a lot of readers um, engage with and got a lot out of.
2: Brill so some fantastic stuff there and and no doubt I mean we don't we don't really know what 2021 has in store generally but um, we know it's obviously it's going to be another really important year for business right across the Sheffield City region so no doubt some big important stories um, that we will be covering on the podcast over the next few months and uh, we look forward to um, hearing the people that you talk to and uh, and some of the stuff that you uh, that you cover throughout 2021. Thanks for coming on Jill.
5: No problem. Thanks,
2: James. Well, there you have it. That's the first episode of the Unlimited podcast wrapped up. And I know there's things that haven't been the easiest to hear, but lots of optimism and hope as well for the road to recovery in 2021. We'll be back in February, focusing on an incredible success story from the Sheffield City region. The Unlimited podcast is hosted by Captivate.fm, the easiest way to create and distribute your podcast. And it's presented and produced by me, James Marriott. If you'd like to find out more about creating a podcast for your business, please get in touch, james at unlimitedbusiness.com. If you have any feedback, ideas or suggestions for the show, please drop me a line. You can catch up with the current issue of the magazine if you haven't already at unlimitedbusiness.com. Take care and we'll see you next
5: mm